Good morning, Beach Point. It is so good to be together this morning, and I'm so blessed to be part of this church, a church that lets me live out my calling as a pastor. And when I look at where I am today and I consider how I got here, I know that it absolutely would not have been possible without unsung heroes in my life. And I'm sure that you have those people in your life too, people who pointed you to Christ, who challenged you, who encouraged you, who made a lasting impact in your life. When I was really young, my parents got divorced and it was a difficult divorce. There was a custody battle and as hard as my parents tried, there was a lot of chaos. And in the end, my brother and I spent 50% of our time with our mom and 50% of our time with our dad. But throughout our growing up years, my dad stayed connected to our church, Bethany Baptist in Montclair. And my mom, while she didn't attend, never had a problem taking us to church. And it was at Bethany that I had a sincere and genuine faith passed on to me. Debbie worked at church, and looking back on it, while I'm not entirely sure what her title was, she spent a lot of time in kids' ministry and in youth ministry. Debbie was the one who invested in me. She took time to talk to me. She welcomed me to serve in kids' ministry. She spent countless weeks being my counselor up at Thousand Pines and on the beach at Carlsbad. Debbie showed me what it meant to have faith that wasn't just a feeling, but faith that impacted my entire life. I didn't realize it at the time, but Debbie was my first model of what it looked like to be a woman in ministry. Debbie's the one who taught me how to serve out of the overflow of God's love in my life, how to consider others above myself, and how to be a servant leader. Martin was the associate pastor at church, and Martin was the guy that chased down the hard kids, the angry kids, the kids from broken homes, and Martin and Elaine welcomed all of us into their home. Martin had all the time in the world to talk problems through with you, to listen to you, to go to your games. And every second that you spent with Martin was a good second because Martin was Jesus's love in action. At Bethany, we didn't have a camp scholarship fund. We had Martin, and I don't know how he did it, but somehow he made sure we all got to camp and that money was never an issue. If you'd spent the school year messing around and then you had summer school, that wasn't a problem. You were still going to camp because Martin would drive your behind up and down the mountain every single day to make sure it happened. Martin was the first one who taught me how to teach a Bible study lesson. And then there was Terry. Terry was a mega volunteer at the church and she was crazy, but she loved me a lot. We spent so many summer days with Terry cleaning out the copy room and the resource room at church. She taught me how to sew, and with her I sewed, very badly, costumes for church musicals. Terry would load us all up in her camper and take us to craft fairs where we would help her work her craft booth, and then we would camp, and we would play cards, and we'd sit around the campfire, and we'd talk about anything and everything and nothing. And this is where we begin this morning, because there's a guy in the Bible that you might know. His name is Timothy, and Timothy made the headlines. Timothy has two New Testament letters written to him by Paul. He joined Paul in one of his later missionary journeys. Timothy even represented Paul to several churches. Timothy was commissioned as the pastor in Ephesus by Paul. And with Paul, Timothy established several churches. But how do we get a Timothy? Well, God uses people to form a Timothy. This morning, we're gonna look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses three through seven. And if you're using the pews in front of you, it's on page 1,197. This letter was written by Paul to Timothy while Paul was in prison shortly before he was gonna be put to death. And he wrote this letter to Timothy because he wanted to encourage Timothy in the faith. He wanted to stress the importance of perseverance even in the midst of hard times. And this is what Paul writes to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And here's where we meet our unsung heroes this morning. Here's where we meet Lois and Eunice, two women whose claim to fame is passing on faith. See, the scriptures tell us that Lois and Eunice had a sincere faith, a real faith, an abiding faith, a faith that transformed their lives. And we see how their faith was used by God to transform Timothy's life. Lois and Eunice would have taught Timothy about the big God story. They would have showed him that all scriptures point to the one who is to come, the one who would bring rescue and salvation, the one named Jesus. And they would have done this as they shared stories of God choosing Abraham to be the father of many nations, God turning evil into good in the story of Joseph, God anointing the least likely in David, and God giving bravery to Esther that her people might be spared. And these stories weren't just stories. This story, God's story, it changed everything. Lois and Eunice did not pass on a religion to Timothy. They passed on faith. They passed on a way of life. And they did this in such a way that Timothy's own faith took root and grew. Lois and Eunice are two unsung heroes of the Bible, two women that model for us what it means to live out a Hebrews 12.1 faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Lois and Eunice ran their race. They did the thing that they were called to do. They lived out their faith in such a sincere and genuine way that Timothy was filled with faith. And that's our big idea this morning. God is calling you to pass on a sincere and genuine faith. You need to run the race. We could end here and say that what we discovered today is that parents need to pass faith on to their kids. And while that's true, it's so much more than that too, because our family needs to pass faith on to our kids and not just in our biological families. Paul comes into Timothy's life and he becomes a spiritual father to Timothy. He continues building faith in him. He mentors him and disciples him. He even calls Timothy his son several times in First and Second Timothy. Paul understood that he had a responsibility to Timothy, a responsibility to pass faith on, to be a spiritual parent. And before we ever had the Great Commission, God's people had another commission in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see the process here? First, I love God. My faith is real and genuine, and then I pass that faith on to my kids. But not just me with my kids, all of us with all of our kids, because this is our race to run. These are my kids. We've got Callie, Sawyer, Jasper, and Sadie, and they're 10, 12, 7, and 6. And I'm impressed that I remember all of that so quickly. These guys are some of the biggest blessings that God's entrusted to me. I love them so much. But I don't know if you guys know this, parenting is hard. There was one time when Callie was in preschool that she was obsessed with these pair of hand-me-down Ugg boots. She wore them every single day. She wore them until they were grungy and full of holes and falling apart. And so one night we sat down and we chatted and we talked about how these boots really weren't good to wear anymore, but that was okay because she had so many other shoes to choose from. And so I took the boots and I threw them in the trash can and I thought we moved on with our lives. However, the next morning we show up at school and Kelly jumps out of the van with the boots on. And I said, Callie, I thought we threw those away. And she said, you did, but 
but I really like them. They're my favorite boots. No time to deal with it then. I move on. That night, I regroup. Learned my lesson, we sat down, we talked about the boots. They're not really good to wear anymore, but that's okay because you have so many other shoes. So we picked out sparkle shoes for her to wear the next day and I took the boots and I threw them in the outside trash can. The next morning, Callie Christine Hall jumps out of the van in those grungy boots again. And I said, Callie, what in the world is happening? And she said, mom, I love these boots. These are my favorite boots. I'm getting married in these boots. Again, no time to deal with it. So later that day, Lindsay Jeffries, who was discipled and raised right here at Beach Point and now serves at The Wave as one of our preschool teachers and after-school program teachers, she texts me and she's giving me a hard time about Callie and these gross boots. And I respond with all my frustration about these dang boots and I invite, beg, Lindsay to give it her best shot because clearly what I'm doing is not working. That night, Callie comes home and she says, Mommy, these boots are trash. I really can't wear them anymore. Internally, like my eyes are huge, my jaw has dropped, steam's coming out of my hair because I think, how in the world? I have said the same thing to you multiple times. What is happening here? But outwardly, I nod my head very seriously and I agree. I think you're right. I think, I think maybe it's time to be done with the boots. See, here's the thing. I need more people speaking into Callie's life than just me. I need more people speaking into Callie's life than just me. And if we're gonna pass faith on to the next generation, it's gonna take all of us. I need more people in my kid's life than even just Gabe and I. Passing faith on to the next generation is something that we do here at Beach Point. Beach Point is full of examples of people doing this with a sincere and genuine faith, passing that on to the next generation. And while we don't know a ton about Lois and Eunice in the Bible, what we do know is that they're commended for passing on faith. And that idea of passing faith on is something that we see throughout the scriptures. Passing faith on to the next generation looks like the time Jennifer Duffy spent uh, teaching Sadie about compassion that contributes to Sadie taking her birthday money and giving it to the homeless man that she sees every Sunday on her way to church. Passing faith on to the next generation looks like Blake Milky modeling for Sawyer what it means to care for others that leads Sawyer to going to 7-Eleven and spending $50 for a junk food care package for one of his leaders who's sick. Passing faith on to the next generation looks like Linda Ingle and Rob Matson teaching Callie how to serve that leads Callie to serving and setting up their classroom every Sunday for a year. It looks like Kendra Conco and Riley Bruin investing in Callie and showing her what encouragement looks like that leads her to knowing when others need her encouragement. Passing faith onto the next generation looks like Avery Heredia, Alex Manastra, and Christy Bell showing Jasper what it means to love God and love others by inviting people in, including others. That leads Jasper to consistently invite the kid that's on the outside into the group on the playground. See, Gabe and I want more than anything for our kids to fall in love with Jesus, to follow him passionately for their whole lives wherever it is he leads them. We're both pastors in full-time ministry and still I'll be the first one to tell you that we can't do this by ourselves. We work so hard to teach our kids about God, who he is and why our response to God is to love him and love others deeply. In fact, we have one rule in our family and it's to love God and to love others. But still, I know that if my kids are gonna fall in love with Jesus, if they're gonna develop a lasting faith, then it's going to take more than Gabe and I. And we are so thankful for all the Loises and Eunices that exist in our kid's life. This job of passing faith on is given to all of us as believers. And we see it again in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
We can understand therefore go to be therefore as you go, as you go, as you go about your everyday lives, we all have responsibility to develop others and disciples. It's a calling that God has given to our community, not a command he's only given to a few of us. The Fuller Youth Institute based in Pasadena did a six-year study because they wanted to know why 50 to 60% of high school graduates fail to stick with their faith or connect to a faith community after high school. And here are two of their main findings. One, students' participation in all church worship during high school was consistently linked to developing a mature faith in high school and beyond. Two, students with a cluster of mentors were almost 90% certain to develop a deep faith that saw them through college and beyond. Okay, so yay, we do the first one here at Beach Point. It's a high value of ours to have our middle school and high school students sit in worship with us every week and to participate with us. But what's a cluster of mentors? Well, you are a cluster of mentors. The idea is that if we have about five people investing in the life of every kid and student, pointing them to Jesus, building relationships with them, the chances of them developing a lifelong faith increases exponentially. And this was God's plan from the very beginning, that we, the people of God, would develop the next generation to be passionate Christ followers with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, while Brandon and Justin would love for you guys to take this to mean that you all need to go volunteer to be student ministry leaders, that's not what this is about either. See, this is about recognizing that you have a part to play in the lives of the young people that you cross paths with every day. Do your friends have kids? Be invested in their lives, build relationships with them, and point them to Jesus. Do you serve here at Beach Point alongside students? Be invested in their lives, build relationships with them, and point them to Jesus. Do your kids or grandkids have friends? Be invested in their lives, build relationships with them, and point them to Jesus. Is God calling you to be a youth ministry leader? Well, in that case, you're gonna need to have a conversation with Brandon or Justin, but then you're gonna begin investing in the lives of a group of students, building relationships with them, and pointing them to Jesus. See, running the race matters. Passing faith on matters. I had Lois's and Eunice's in my life who passed faith on to me. My cluster of mentors was made up of regular everyday people. The thing that made them so extraordinary is that they had their own real faith and they said yes to pointing me to Jesus by investing in me, building relationships with me and inviting me into their lives. My cluster of mentors had no ability to change the hard parts of my story. They couldn't rescue me from the dark moments, but what they did from their own faith is loved me and built in me alongside the Holy Spirit, a faith that sustained me in those times, a faith that showed me how to listen to God, how to obey him and how to walk with him. And my story is not an outlier. My story is our story. It's a story of Beach Point and it's being lived out right here and right now. In 1980, Eric Wiskus attended VBS right here and Marsha Postmas was his teacher. We even have photographic evidence. And I know that a lot of you have mentored Eric throughout the years because I've heard the stories. But now Eric serves on our board and Eric for the past several years has been, has been mentoring our current fifth graders, the Green Machine. See, it's Arlene Baker investing in Ashley Turnbaugh and Melinda Jack when they were middle school students and served alongside her in the two and three-year-old classroom. And now Melinda runs the two and three-year-old classroom and Ashley choreographs our VBS. It's Kristen Hickey and Sarah French investing in Allison Turnbaugh when she was a high school student by being her leaders through small groups, through camps, and even ditching the rock on occasion for ice cream. Allison now is investing in our freshman girls and has been investing in this group since they were in kids ministry. This church and its people mentored and raised up these people. God has used the people of Beach Point 
to develop a sincere and genuine faith in young people. And now those young people are passing on faith to the next generation. They're developing faith in my kids, in your kids, in our kids. So let's go back to Lois and Eunice for a minute. God's plan was that these women would pass on faith to Timothy and that Paul would come along and continue to build and develop that faith in him. God's plan wasn't just that Timothy would be saved, but that many more would be saved by the work the Holy Spirit would do in and through Timothy. We need to be the unsung heroes in the lives of our kids and students. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been saved by grace, restored and redeemed, then this is a command and a calling placed on you too. We need you to live out your faith in such a way that the next generation will know. We need you to run your race. This church needs you to invest in its young people. We all have a responsibility to pass faith on. We all have divine appointments to keep. And I thank God for Martin and for Debbie and for Terry and the way that they made investments in my life, for the way they invested time, talent, and treasure in me. Because I believe down to my bones that if it wasn't for God working through them, I don't think I would be here today. And I'm telling you from experience that you have a big blessing to give our kids and students. And when you bring that blessing, you also have a blessing to receive. I know some of you might be sitting in this room and you think that you're too young to do this. And to you, I wanna say you're absolutely not. Timothy was a young leader and Paul tells him, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Instead, set an example for all the believers. My son Sawyer's 12, and he's very excited to be investing in Ben Manastra, a two-year-old here. So far, Sawyer's taught Ben the goodness of cereal for dinner on Sunday. Sunday cereal is a very important team hall tradition. And he's looking forward to serving with Ben at VBS this year. To my students in the room, I wanna say to you, we need you even now to begin investing in our kids. Some of you might be sitting in this room and you think you're too old to do this. And I wanna say to you, you're not. Because once we hit 30, we're all considered old by these kids and students. So at 38, I'm ancient. You can ask my kids or any of the kids and students I serve with and they'll tell you. I didn't know that ship meant anything other than a big boat until a few weeks ago. I used the term T in the wrong context. I had a pager before I had a cell phone and I still know all the words to DC Talks, Jesus Freak. But even in my oldness and even in my uncoolness, when I offer myself to our kids, when I invest in them, build relationships with them and point them to Jesus, I bring a blessing. I have significance and I have value and relevance. So to my mature Jesus followers in the room, I wanna say to you, we need you. We need your wisdom and we need your experience. We need you to invest in our kids and students because this matters. And when you invest in kids and students, it's not just individuals and families and churches that are transformed, but the whole world can be transformed. Lois and Eunice set out just to build faith in the life of one little boy, and yet that, that investment, it impacted the entire world. I also know that some of you are sitting in this room and you are heartbroken. You have given and given of yourselves. You have invested and made big sacrifices to pass on sincere and genuine faith. And so far, the outcome is not what you've been hoping for. And to you, I wanna say, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, because I believe that the work that you do, pointing people to Christ, is not in vain. I believe that just because you don't see fruit or transformation today does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not at work, and it doesn't mean that transformation isn't right around the corner. And it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Martin died when I was a senior in high school. And I have to think that looking back on where I was at that time, he still must have been somewhat concerned about me. I wish I could go back and thank Martin in person for all the ways he pointed me to Christ, for the millions of lessons he gave me, for the way he modeled to me what compassion looks like, what second, third, fourth, and fifth chances look like. 
Martin didn't know that I would grow up to be a pastor and that my heart would beat for hurting kids and that a large part of my empathy for these hurting kids was formed by him. But thank God Martin didn't give up on me just because he couldn't see the outcome. So don't lose heart because our kids and our students need you. We are all called to make disciples. This is a command on all of us as Jesus followers, and it's of critical importance that we do this work, that we walk in obedience to this charge we've been given. And to understand why this is so critical, we need to go back to the beginning. Because in the very beginning, it was all God. Before God, the earth was dark and formless, but then it was all good because God created. He created everything. He created the world, the seas, the plants, the animals, and even us. And God declared his creations good, so, so good, created by God just as they were intended to be. And all of creation was good. People walked and talked with God in the most perfect garden. They loved God and they were loved by God. But very quickly, it all broke because people chose to go their own way. They believed they knew better than God, and that rebellion, it fractured everything. Sin entered the world. And if the story ended there, it would be a terrible story. But the story isn't over because we serve a good God, a God who didn't just leave us and end the story. Instead, we serve a God who had a plan to rescue us and to redeem us. God sent his son Jesus into the world to live a perfect life, telling us of God's love for us, showing us how to walk in love with God. And then Jesus died on the cross. And when he did that, he took my sin and your sin on himself so that nobody would have to be eternally separated from God, but instead everybody could be eternally with God as they were intended to be. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that forgives my sin and your sin, that same power lives in you and me when we trust and follow Jesus. And still the story isn't over because God's plan is that we would share that good news. It comes in the form of us sharing that good news, just regular everyday people. God's plan is that we could share that news. And because of our sincere and genuine faith, we have been entrusted to develop sincere and genuine faith in the next generation. We have a calling, we have a race to run, and we have faith to pass on. And if we don't do it, there's consequences. Judges chapter two, verses seven through 10 is a very sobering passage of scripture. It says this, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. These are the people who saw God bring the plagues to Egypt. These are the people who saw God use Moses to lead them out of slavery. These are the people who walked through the parted Red Sea, who ate quail and manna in the desert. These are the people. But then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harry's in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Yash. And after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, after that whole generation had died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. A whole generation who did not know the Lord, directly following a generation that had seen some of God's most incredible miracles. God is calling you to be a Lois and a Eunice to live out your faith in such a way that the next generation will know the Lord and what he's done, that they'll develop their own long-lasting faith. So I wanna leave us with two things to consider this morning. One, who passed faith on to you? Who are the unsung heroes in your story? If you can, go back and thank them for what they've done. Tell them of the impact that they've made. Two, think about the kids and students in your life. Think and consider how God's calling you to invest in them, to pass faith on. It might be by becoming incredibly intentional about the way you parent or grandparent. It might be by serving at VBS or volunteering for one of our family ministries. 
One way for all of us to enter into this and pass faith on to the next generation is by grabbing a prayer card on your way out. We have prayer cards for our eighth graders as they head off to camp today. This week, you can be praying for them. You can be passing faith on by praying that the Holy Spirit would be at work in their lives and that they would encounter God in such a way that they would be transformed. I don't know how God's calling you to pass on faith, but I do know that God has given you a specific race to run, and we all need you to run that race. So will you ask God to whom and how he's calling you to pass on faith? Will you be obedient to that calling? Let's pray and begin even now inviting God to speak to us. Father God, you are good, and your love for us is so incredible that even in our brokenness, you didn't leave us. Instead, you rescued us. You call us friend, dearly beloved, and child. God, it's overwhelming that you would entrust us with sharing your love, passing faith on to the next generation. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts and make clear the race you have for us to run, the ways you're calling us to pass on faith, Jesus, we need you to give us boldness and bravery to follow you wherever it is you lead us.